You remember. Roll your stealth roll. Game books, pencils, pizza, cheese puffs, and a hell of a lot of dice. And the dragon woke up. Roll for initiative. This is the Roll for Initiative podcast, where 1E is the place to be. Welcome back to the Roll for Initiative podcast. We are volume 6, issue 177. I'm Vince sitting alongside Nick. Hello, everyone. And Matt. Hello, everybody. And we're back for another show. Like I said, we got uh, we got a module we're going to review this week, an OSR-compatible module. But first, it's mm-hmm. been a little while since we've done a show. We're going to find out what everybody's been up to. I know it's uh, we want to hear what Nick's campaigns are doing because Nick always has something exciting going on. Nick? <laughs> it's gotten ex- – well, thank you. It's gotten excited and, exciting and very interesting. Excited too, uh, huh? Yes. So um, past couple of game sessions, my, my youngest daughter, uh, Phoenix – a.k.a. Anna, or, but she likes to go by Phoenix. Anyway, okay. she's been, like, helping me co-DM the game, cool. which has been really fun. Mostly been um, covering some of the NPCs, you know? Because mm-hmm. as, as everybody knows, being a DM, you gotta you are pretty much the game world, and you have to act out everybody in the game world, which could be rather challenging, particularly if they're of a different gender. <laughs> um, so... Uh, Phoenix being a very good actor in her own right, and it's like if you could do some of these other NPCs, and this would be, this would work out great. And having a great job of doing that. Last game session, it became very interesting because my friend Jeff, his character, who is a barbarian, but uh, is his character has been meaning with a taxidermist in the city of Greyhawk. And this taxidermist is has a has a has a wife and a daughter and he's Jeff's character's been kind of trying to woo the daughter a little bit. You know, try to you know become uh, his companion. Okay. Right. Every time to me, because every time he brings the, the taxidermist something to to uh stuff and mount like uh he made he made a goblin into a scabbard, which was rather interesting. Okay. <laughs> yeah, so he has a goblin scabbard. Very interesting and uh, rather funny because goblins fall for it. He, like, pokes the goblin scabbard around corners and stuff. Um, sort of like a little like a little stick puppet. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> so, <laughs> so um, he went to see this uh, this taxidermist again. Just the, and this time basically to come according to the taxidermist's wife, I mean uh, daughter, and uh, so I said to Phoenix, you know, you play the, the taxidermist's wife and the daughter, and basically kind of played it up like they're somewhat like Eastern European accents and everything. They talk like this, hey, welcome, come, oh yes, yeah. So um, Jeff's character, there was this. Really nice restaurant in the city of Greyhawk. He got it all set up. He was going to take the family out to dinner. He bought her a ring and everything, blah, blah, blah. Takes her to the uh, the family, to the restaurant, and formally asking, I said, okay, you're going you're gonna to have to act this out. So I put him on the spot. Like, put it, gets on the one knee and everything. Really, really funny, okay? And, um... <laughs> this is where I, this is where everything kind of got turned on its head. I did not see this coming. So Phoenix is acting. Oh, I don't know what to say, but I, I can't. I mean, what do you mean you can't? And she's like, I am seeing another, and I'm like, I'm thinking of my house. What? <laughs> Where'd that come up from? <laughs> So, so I acted like the father. What? What do you mean? You see? Oh, you're seeing that, that other one. Oh, he's terrible. Huh. <laughs> so, kind of turned it all on its head there. And it was, oh my God, it was hilarious. So they got like in a big argument. And yeah, so now uh, I kind of turned it around and said, okay, um, since you say you don't know this boy, I'm referring to the barbarian. 
Well, you must go with him next time he go to Castle Greyhawk. You learn how he is. She's like, okay, I don't want to, but no, that's how we do. We, because he made like a blood oath with the father. <laughs> it's like we see with blood and everything, blah blah blah, and um, so now I had to come up with NPC stats for the uh, daughter. Now, <laughs> I think she's gonna be a bard. <laughs> I think that's that might how apply out, but it was really really funny. Oh my god, so much fun! It, people are at it laughs all around, and this proves to you uh, from time to time. Some of the best uh, gaming sessions are somewhere you don't even sling dice. It's just all the interaction. That was so much fun. Cool. Yeah, it was great. What about you, Matt? Well, I'm about to start up my Ravenloft campaign once again. Mm-hmm. Uh, we took a little break from it, played a bunch of board games, had our little uh, weekend getaway for our board gaming extravaganza, and now we're back to some hardcore RPGing and... They, when we last seen them, they were actually uh, dealing with Adam, the uh, Frankenstein-inspired uh, lord, and they managed to uh, defeat him, escape that realm, and now they're actually heading into the mainland of Ravenloft. They're no longer dealing in those little outer, like, islands of dread and some of the smaller, weaker uh, domains. They're now going to the big ones, so I um. think... A- yeah, I think I'm actually going to send them through around uh, the Bleak House and all of that right now, and then slowly work their way into Maine, Barvoria, and get the meat strawed. Oh, jeez. Yes. And is, they, this, it, is this the Greyhawk campaign with the kids as player characters? Uh, th- no, this is the campaign where they, they have two NPC kids. They okay, four- yeah. They have a four-year-old and a ten-year-old they've been stuck with because when they went to the one village with all the puppets where all the adults were murdered by the puppets, yes. Yes. Uh, they had taken two of the kids, brought them back to their ship to just figure out what was going on in the city, and then all the stuff went down in the city, and they went to escape the domain and forgot the kids were on the ship. Oh, yeah, I remember you telling us about that now. So okay. since then, they've been stuck ha- go adventuring while also being parents. Mm-hmm. The The one dwarven thief in the party is actually taking the uh, oldest girl, the 10-year-old, and training her to be a thief. So like being the surrogate father? Yes. <laughs> That's great. So, and then, and then the uh, four-year-old's taken to him as well because he's short and cuddly. Oh. So he's kind of like the adopted older brother figure. You know what you're. You know what that sets up for? Oh yeah. A tragedy. Yeah. Oh, I already know. Hey, um, he, Strahd is looking for his long lost love. Just hmm. And then all of a sudden, this girl shows up, and we just get really creepy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I'm kind of maybe leaning towards that. I was maybe. just I was just thinking also something you add along the way. Yeah. You got kids. Oh, a carnival. Oh yes. <laughs> a creepy Ravenloft carnival. Yes. Oh Lord, yeah. Evil yeah. clowns and everything. Yeah. I'm also contemplating, uh, since the oldest has been getting all that thieving training, maybe actually yeah. letting her have that level of thief, unbeknownst to the party. That'd be cool. So, and all of a sudden, she starts pulling out moves that the dwarf's been training her for like months on, and does a few things. So that'd be cool. Yeah. So there's there's a few ways I can take it, hmm. but yeah. So if you want to add something new to your campaigns, have your players also have to be parents. Hmm. <laughs> well, that emotional attachment because if something bad goes awry, something goes awry, it. Definitely makes for a uh, tense role-playing session. Yes, especially though there's two players in the group that have, have already failing power checks. One of them's failed like three. So they're kind of going towards the dark side. And they're also the ones that kind of want to get rid of the kids. They've been wanting to, they wanted to dump the kids off at Castle Amber. Uh-oh. Like, yeah, I mean, they just want to get rid of these kids. So they want to, uh, like every domain they go to, they try to find someone that were willing to just take in these kids and just leave them. Whereas the 
other dwarf and the cleric are like, no, let's keep them and, re- and take, make sure they're taken care of because none of these lands are safe. So, so there yeah. might be some inter-party conflict. Oh, the, yeah, there already is. Um, oh. One of the players decided for one of his failed power checks, uh, they were in one, a manner that had the uh, madness fleas, where it makes, you get bit by them, you go nuts. Madness and, fleas? Yeah. Yeah. Huh. So they were in there, and they thought these were just mentally... Uh, two of the players thought these were just mentally gone people that just were evil and need to be killed, and said they were just mad from the police. So he took this 12-year-old girl, chucked her out a second-story window, <laughs> and she fell onto, like, the spiked fence Ouch. outside this manor and just wow. impaled. He comes downstairs and denied he ever did it, and but the wow. cleric walks out and sees the corpse impaled on the fence he's like i don't know what happened to the girl she went crazy Jeez. so denied he did it wow denied he did it but plausible the cleric, deniability yes but the cleric just gives him that look like he's lying so mm-hmm. there's we've got some internal strife there because the fighters in the group are just becoming more bloodthirsty from their failed power check so Uh-oh. yes hmm. yeah so Lots of whole little uh, subplots going on that can go in many different directions, depending on... cool. What about you, Vince? Well, I haven't really been playing much games. I've been reading a lot. I did start playing in a 5th edition game this weekend uh, at the local gaming shop with a bunch of uh, old friends. So uh, it went all right. I was playing a Dwarven Paladin, actually. That's Hmm. lawful neutral, which which is kind of weird. Playing a Paladin that's not lawful good, but... Yeah. Uh... The game went pretty well, except for the inter-party fighting. <laughs> <laughs> no, really? No, there was two dudes that were in the party that just kept, I don't know, I guess annoying the crap out of each other to the point that the DM pulled the two characters out into a separate thing, and the person who hired us to do a mission said, you two will fight to the death, and that's the end, and the winner will continue on, the loser is done. <laughs> wow. Oh. Yeah, so it, it was really getting bad, to the point that we were sitting there going, <sighs> like this, the rest of the party, and I finally said... You got two DMs here. Can we have one of the DMs take the knuckleheads aside and have their fight and get it over with? And the rest of us can go back to playing. And they're like, oh, yeah, it's a great idea. I'm like, okay. So they resolved that issue, and finally they came back. And I made a suggestion that since the DM brought both characters back in as is after that long fight, to make it so the two characters no longer remember the hatred that they had for each other. So, after, yeah, after he did that, everything seemed to be fine. The adventure was good. We were doing Underdark, uh, some adventure he made for the Underdark, and we had to go kill some orcs that were uh, looting something in the village, and everything had mushrooms everywhere, much like the adventure we're going to review today. Oh, cool. Uh, and I, my character kept eating mushrooms and having these weird effects and, you know, going into dazes and running around circles and screaming and laughing. Like Hearing Inagata DeVita in his ears. Yeah, pretty much. But had a good time, so I was glad that it was like that. Haven't any time for any other games. Mostly been working and stuff like that. So, mm. but uh, I think we should just head into table matters. We don't have any stars, right, Nick? No star reviews. Okay, great. Uh, if you do want to email us, rfi-staff at gmail dot com, and we will read your email as long as it's relevant to the show, of course. So we'll head into some table matters. This podcast is brought to you in part by a not very generous grant from Lesser Gnome, publisher of quality role-playing games since last year. Gnomes value high-minded programming, just like you. Learn more at their website, www.lessergnome.com. Typical of all the evil creatures in the world, I like to find one with table manners. What are you kidding me? I spent years cultivating the worst table manners on the planet. Table manners. Table manners this week. So the module that we had sent to us, I was sent an email by DM John a while back, and he gave us an OSR compatible module, which basically lands under, it could be used with original, basic, advanced, second edition, anything that falls under the OSR uh, brand, and it's called The Fungus Forest, and it has, it's on RPG Now or drive through RPG, and I'll throw the link up there for Matt to put in our show notes. Hmm. It's a pay-what-you-want module, so you can pay nothing if you want, if you feel that, that you know it's not worth anything. But I suggest you highly 
pay the suggested price of $2.18 at the time of the recording. It is well worth it. 71 mm. pages of this module is. Yep. Huge map. The map is so huge it has four quadrants. Mm. A, B, C, and D. But uh, this is a pay what you want. This is a sprawling 100 plus cave complex suitable for low to mid-level play. Uh, you can download it. Obviously, the, the author says you can download it for free if you'd like, if you don't want to pay anything, or you can come back and donate, whichever. It features unique creatures and magical items, compatible with most of the games, obviously. It has maps, two-page overview map spread of the caverns, four quadrant maps of each section. They were in colors, tiny tunnels, the dark fey, printable in black and white, single-page version overview map, full-color art layout, Ready reference appendices so you can go back and find things easily, which we all know is a pain in the butt. Mm-hmm. Bookmarked and hyperlinked, and it's available in two formats, and the print edition will be coming soon. But let's jump right into the fungus forest and, and impressions of it. Matt, what's your impression of the module? Oh, I really like this. This is, it's not an adventure, it's a campaign setting yeah it's the way to look at yeah, it it's, it's a like, mini campaign absolutely yeah, think a uh, small underdark is kind mm. of the way to look at it um you have your dark fey a, your dark pixies aka you're playing the role of the drow this week um yeah. it ha- and it very much is like the like section a as i was going through it i'm like Almost every room was like a new mushroom that the players can just get themselves in trouble with. Um, and there's yeah. lots of that. The environment is very rich yeah. and very fungus-based. So be prepared to deal with all the effects of the fungi. So, um, which also it has that random fungus generator that I actually... Yeah. I love random That's charts. Sweet. Oh, me too. <laughs> so when it was like random fungus generator, I'm like, I will steal this in general. Like when the players are out foraging for stuff and they're like, oh, I'm looking for this spell component or whatever. Like, here's your random fungus. But there's so many mushrooms you can just like eat and die. It shows. Yes. I was like, yes. A yes. single saving throw, boom, dead. Like, right. Ah. <sighs> yes. It very much is that you shouldn't eat everything. It's very much old school in that mentality of. Yeah. yeah um, and and some of the ways you go are rather horrid. <laughs> yes, there's there's not a quick clean death. It's usually lots of convulsing and shivering and or, or turning ex- inside out or exploding. <laughs> yes, and there's also lots and lots of looting. Yes. You're, oh, yeah. you're going to be taking stuff off of the corpses of like everything. There's so many deceased uh, people now, in this adventure. Now, tell me you guys did not, as soon as you start reading, just going, what was the guy smoking and can I have some of it? Because this module was written like a stoner wrote it, man. Well, it, it, it is mushroom-based. Like well, yeah. And, <laughs> and you can get your St. Gygax shield in this adventure. Yes. Yeah, that's... Uh, yeah, I'll talk about that in a little bit. Yeah, that's fine. It's well-written. It's well-laid out. It's very professional-looking, in my opinion. Oh, it yeah. has, but the only thing that it's just, it's just like, what is, what was the guy smoking when he wrote this, man? Nash Press, man. Who's Nash Press? I have to yeah, find this, out. Yeah, it was very much the. I have a bunch of cool ideas. Let's throw them all into one thing and kind of connect them together. And you realize at one point in the module, when you get to, um, I think it's Quadrant B or C, when you go to the Goblin Kingdom, there's a whole bunch of like mini side quests in there that he demands that you do if you want to get through his kingdom, which I thought was really cool too. Yeah. I thought another good thing is in the different quadrants in all the different factions inside the Fungus Forest uh, dungeon, it's um, the different factions in one one way or another are in conflict with each other. Yeah. And he, he, he gives enough detail saying, okay, this faction is not as strong as this other one, and this is the reasons why. Gives some real good explanations on that. So, yeah, you could play maybe one faction off another. Which is really good writing. Not sure. How long do you think it would take to run this thing? You're talking maybe like oh a couple God. months, maybe the way this is built. Um, you know, um, gosh, it, are you talking like maybe on a weekly or every other week? Well, yeah, sort say, of we, say we we play like you know a session every other week for like four or five hours. You think this would be a good couple month campaign, maybe? Um, I could see anywhere between four to six months, hmm. maybe longer, maybe longer. 
And I'm I'm trying to figure. I mean, I read the module, and it's just so much to like you know absorb and how to get the players hooked. How would you get the players hooked on this one, Nick? Wow, because um, there's so many well, like, rumors to throw into there, and how many reasons? It's just like how would you get the players to want to go into this magical mushroom kingdom? Here? Well, the one thing that does help, and I'm glad you brought that up, is he has the fungus forest rumor chart. Yes, which is a good way to uh, for if not uh, plot hooks in itself, but to generate some interest into the place where if they're sitting in a tavern or an inn and they're talking with some people and they and they hear from the bartender, hey, you never heard about this fungus forest? They say the, the pixies there can assume any form and love to use this ability to sow confusion and dissent, which happens to be a true rumor. But, yeah, that's that's one way to do it. And maybe there's another way you could get around, not just using the rumor chart, Maybe uh, the old uh, sage or wizard's looking for some special magic components, and one of the places he knows he can get them is from the fungus forest. Well, the group that I'm currently in, I can guarantee they would go in based on the fact of there is one mushroom, if eaten, makes you a god. I can guarantee they're all running for that. Or Or the one mushrooms where when you clip them with, uh, like, a silver blade... They become solid silver. <laughs> oh yeah, yep. yeah. Or you could even do the cliche: "Little Timmy wandered into the fungus forest. You got to go find him." <laughs> Stupid Timmy. Yeah. Or 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 Timmy was abducted by the Fae and taken Timmer! into the forest. Timmer. Timmer. Let's see. They, they also have a, uh, some great unique monsters in here, which I think yes. Matt's going to pull one up when we go into our uh, creature feature segment. So we won't spoil that. But what did you think about the map? The maps, Nick. I really, really like the maps. Done very well. I like how they're color coded. Yeah, it makes it so easier you know to the see. different sections of what you're running into inside the fungus forest. I like the uh, the topography when you're talking about at least the the depths of the water is very well defined. And looking at this map now that I'm thinking about it, um, you could potentially tie this in with other adventures. Uh, for example, Lost Caverns of Zoicant, there's the one, either, I think it's in the Lesser Caverns, there is a river that runs through part of it. And there's a section of it where you just don't know where it runs off the map to. You could easily connect that to this area. And it could be, sure. again, make it a larger campaign. Just throwing that out of an idea as an idea, if you want to tie it into your current campaign, that's one way to do it. So I like that. It's it's flexible in that respect. You know what I thought was the my favorite part of this module? It's kind of creepy in the same sense. Those shroomkins, when they kept gathering all the parts of all the people and putting them in various caves neatly. Mm-hmm. Like when they took the, the skulls and they put it neatly in one cave. They put the, the bones of this or that in that cave. They took the eyes and put it in the mushrooms so they can see around the cave. But there's no explanation of why they do it, and it even says there's no real reason why they yeah. do it, and nobody knows why. I just thought that was something creepy to play off on. And that's some of the best things when you leave things, like, unexplained and let the player characters kind of let their imaginations run wild and figure out, you know, why did they do this? Well, they might there's, they might think because they worship this certain god or something. Who knows? But it, it gets them paranoid. <laughs> yeah. Definitely. What's your uh, favorite part, Nick? My favorite part? Oh, my goodness. Um, I know you want to speak about the Gygax shield, so. Well, you know, I like that stuff up to a point. I thought the whole Gygax thing, that was the one thing I thought was kind of like, took it almost over the top for me. Okay. You know, the, the St. Gygax and all that. I thought like, oh, okay, I get it. Fine, fine. Yeah, I yeah. love Gary, too, but I thought that kind of went a little bit over the top for me. Okay. Um, one of the things I liked, the, uh, if I can at least make reference to this monster, because when you're looking at this adventure, it seems very much on the side of like, you know, on the sides of fairy of the fae realm. Right. But then again, you have one monster that pops <laughs> up here where it just totally takes it into that, you know, what's the term? Lovecraftian uh, direction. Yeah. Shogoths. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I saw that. I'm like, well, that was unexpected. (laughs) Yeah. I love that. It just, because you're thinking, oh, and a a very 
typical um, fairy realm sort of setting. You don't think of Lovecraftian horrors generally. So I like that little addition of the Shogoth as a potential uh, wandering uh, monster, I guess. Well, look and, at the rest of the module. Were you su- really that surprised? I mean... Uh, well, yeah, for me it was, because uh, when I'm reading through it, I kind of thought, okay, this is kind of a fey realm thing, but I guess now that I'm looking at it, like the different types of fairy creatures and like the dark fairies and the or the, the Wassermans yeah. uh, and the darklings, I guess, or no, not darklings, but uh, the drakelings, Yes. Or draklings, I guess. Uh, I guess in that respect, there is something kind of twisted about them. So, just, uh, double check here. I'm gonna go back to that page. So we have the goblin layer, the dark fey wasermans, the draklings or draklings, the wixies, which the wixies. are wild pixies. They're awesome. <laughs> yes. <laughs> then we got the pixies. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then we got the, is that the Wearies? Is that how it's pronounced? Wireys? Wyron? Wireys? I don't know. Wearies, I think. Yeah, and I then the Shroomkins. Know. Those are the factions the that are all distributed in this uh, big, giant, underground fun park, if we want to call it that. Yes. This is like Lewis Carroll on acid with Lovecraft thrown in. Yeah, yeah, perfectly well put. <laughs> yes, because you even have the room where you eat this mushroom, you grow. You eat this mm-hmm. mushroom, you shrink. Yep. Yeah, there's just some rooms that just have mushrooms everywhere, and you're just not sure exactly what to do in there, and some people just may eat it, and he's taken to that. I will say he's taken almost every possibility into account in some of these descriptions. Yes, he has. It was very well done. There's nothing left for the DM. They have to really figure out so much on their own. There's of, there's great stuff right there. Of course, there. there's going to be stuff that you will happen with your group. You'll be like, uh, but the majority of things, I was reading, it, I was like, the majority of things, I was like, oh, I didn't even think about that. Yeah, I could see my group doing that, or I could see my group doing that. Mm-hmm. And he has it there in little, in little blocks telling you well, if the group does this, if the group does that. And that's probably why yeah. it's so long. There's just so much to go on in here. It covers all those uh, different contingencies. Yeah. One of the things, uh, another thing I did like oh, yeah. was the uh, the teleportation rings. Oh, yeah. That, that's yes. kind of interesting. Only the, uh, the uh, what creatures were those? Um, was it the fix? Uh, whatever. Cre- I can't think of the name of the creatures, but the only they know exactly how to control it, and when you step into it, you just get randomly teleported to the last place that you remember something going on. <laughs> I was like, yeah. yeah. Okay, but if you attack the mushrooms that are surrounding that circle, they're not actually mushrooms. They're little people that will come out and attack you because you they're attack like, yep. them. They're almost myconids. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, mini myconids. Yeah. But I I love that because that the fairy ring, um, and I, I think there is somewhere later on where you actually can learn how to use the teleportation rings. If I, I thought there was a section there where you can learn it from somebody. Oh, was it? I thought yeah. you said that only they truly know. So. Okay. Uh, but the fairy rings, yeah, because they're actually like little fairies and they're like grown in there. And uh, I thought was a nice, um, de- I guess, device. Um, because one of the things when you're talking about like a large dungeon, it always seems to be a, uh, a tough thing for DMs and even players to figure out. I was like, okay, we got this large hole. Now we got all the way go back up. And and out of the dungeon, we got to dump all this stuff off. This is maybe one way you can kind of get around that, mm-hmm. you know, it, as far as, like, dumping off stuff in certain areas. I mean, it's going to be randomly taking you all over the place, but eventually you're going to get to the where you want to be. So, right. <laughs> so I thought that was a pretty cool um, little... Um, well, I don't know. It's just a cool, interesting thing. The teleportation rings. What's your favorite parts, Matt? Well, with this, there's... I was horribly... I, when I was reading, amused by the witch that tries to get you to kiss her. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. Yes, yes that, that so she could turn you into a frog. And with this, it, it, like every section has it has its own inner theme. It's like the the Wixies that are sitting there as you go from like the fungus showroom of the Shroomkin 
and you go into their realm. They have their big wall protect, keeping out all these fungus people, and they just sit up top of it taunting you like they're <laughs> yeah. in Monty Python. Yes. <laughs> and if, But if you end up doing something they deem brave, they're like, hey, come have a drink with us. Yeah. So I, I found just touches like that amusing because it's stuff you usually don't see in adventures, but at the same time you have seen in, like, geek media. So I, I got I was there's a lot of that type of those types of references. That's right. They taunt you if you like back down and go away. They attack you. But if you do something brave and try to attack them, they go whoa whoa whoa. Come on in. You're our friends now. It's like well, yeah, you're talking about the Wixies. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 The Wixies I thought were really cool because they reminded me of the brownies from uh, from uh, Willow. Oh yeah, okay. Yeah. Remember the remember how kind of rough and tumbly the, those the brownies were? Yeah, yeah. They kind of reminded me of that, and that's how almost I would kind of play them up because I I purposely h- highlighted the section the cave of ritual. Okay, I thought was really funny because this just tells you everything about Wixie culture. It says in it here the young Wixie warriors undergo their initiation into manhood. In manhood, this entails being hung by the ankles. From the cave roof and punched in the face by passersby, <sighs> pelted with garbage or worse, and taunted by Wixie children. <laughs> so, yeah. this is a rite of passage. So, right. you are actually obligated when you go by them to punch them in the face or throw things at them. Sweet. Right. And or I, I would play it up like they're not crying or anything, they're just taking it. <laughs> right. You know? And then I could see the Wixies being like, you're now one of us. It's now time for your rite of passage. Oh, <laughs> man. I never thought of that. That would be good. And then if, and if they go through that, then all of a sudden they now have the Wixies on their side as they go into other areas. They mm-hmm. have the Wixie friends because they're one of them. I wonder if you could kind of incorporate that. Like if one faction you win them over, will they help you or they not help you? Because they seem to be the factions seem to be staying in their own areas and don't move from their areas, except the goblin ones who want to take over the other areas. Right. Everybody seems, well, you're right, everybody seems to be kind of on the defensive. Yeah, nobody's attacking. Necessarily offensive. That that could even be the main uh, plot of your campaign is there's someone trying to stir it up. And cause yeah. all four, all the factions to feud simultaneously. Oh, rebel rouser. Yeah, and maybe if they if stirring up the different factions, it can cause chaos up above. So they want to keep the status quo, and your your job is to keep the status quo. Right. Oh, one thing I did catch on another like kind of like a I I think it's kind of a tongue in cheek inner gamer thing. What? Again with the Wixies. Mm-hmm. What's their most prized uh metal? Electrum. Electrum. <laughs> they love Electrum. And what is Gary Gygax been known to put into his games a lot of Electrum pieces. Yeah, it was always his favorite metal uh, world. I think it was. It was, So I love the whole thing about they value Electrum pieces, Electrum above almost any other metal. I thought that was pretty cool. I think that might have been a kind of a wink and a nod to that sort of inner, like that inner gamer culture thing. I'm not sure, but I'm tending to think maybe yes. Yeah. (laughs) He really wanted that Electrum to get off as, you know, the source of everything instead of gold, so. Right. Or or you could use them as a great exchange bank. Mm-hmm. If, if Electrum's undervalued up above, you go down there to convert it to gold and come back up wealthy. Oh, so now you're talking about farming now. Yes. <laughs> we, you farm your, your farming now. It's wonderful. Collect all the Electrum you want because we got some suckers underneath that'll love it. Yeah. Right. So there's any ways that we can improve this for listeners, or you think it's good as is? Gosh, improve it? Mm. Well, I would definitely throw in some uh, trademarked Myconids. Yeah. Because they belong. Mm. They belong in this whole thing. You need the Myconids. Yeah, they do. You could even add another whole cave faction, if you want, of the Myconids being all Myconid. You could do that, yeah. And I would also say prepare... For your player characters eating mushrooms and what's going to happen afterwards. Yeah. Because there might be a high body count. Yeah. There could be a death. There could be strange effects going on according to the chart. Anything. I like that some of the death things, like you die, but your organs all turn to gold. It's like, whoa. Yeah. (laughs) Right. (laughs) 
I'm just trying to imagine like a uh, a party, you know, cutting open the person and taking out their gold liver and spleen. Yeah, really. Hey. <laughs> oh, Nick's dead. <laughs> I wasn't quite done with that. I wasn't uh-huh. dead yet. I mean, just prepare for any situation. If they're going to eat the fungus, I don't. I guess you can't really warn them too much, but they might pick up. Uh, I think some of that is alluded to in some of the rumors, but you got to be lucky enough to get that rumor. Right. Yeah, I would just maybe. I might. I might let like a magic user have some knowledge of some of the funguses, like making like an intelligence check to see if he recognizes that fungus from like a spell or a book or something. Just to give them a, he'll be like, "Oh, wait a minute! I remember this. I don't know exactly what, but I remember this is a bad one or something." Hmm. Yeah, just, yeah, that's not a bad idea. I'm, I'm sure yeah. there's got to be someone in the party that's going to be into the whole uh, herbalism type thing, or right, or and it could even be a combination of like maybe the cleric will recognize one because it's used to for like healing or something. Right now, some of these though, we got to mention. Just because you eat them, it doesn't necessarily mean that you're gonna die. There's no, some no, no. actually some ones where they uh, they per, they give you some positive things, like what was it, the fungus of faith, where you eat it, you get a random first level cleric spell when you yeah. eat it. Oh, and the yeah. one uh, that you eat a small amount, it gives you a plus one to wisdom after this weird trip. Yeah, yeah. But if, but you, if eat, you eat too much, and you wind up like vomiting or something, and then you lose an intelligence. Yeah. Yeah. So you have to eat just the right amount of shrooms, man. You got to measure it out. That's right. Like the sorcerer's shroom, you know. You eat that one and you get a random first level magic use spell when you eat it, dude. <laughs> and then also with a lot of these spells, or uh, mushrooms, when you take them, you don't die instantly. That also gives the party a chance to respond, too. Yeah. Because a lot of this is just countered with Cure disease. Or curse. Or curse. Or curse, depending on the shroom. So it's not like it's the, oh, you ate, you failed your save, you're dead. You ate, you failed your save, you're going to die really soon unless you come act quick. Yeah, yeah. What about the situation when the the witch turns the people into frogs? Oh, man. Yeah. uh, I know Matt was just talking about that, but so what if you you don't have a remove curse? Is that the, you're dead, whatever, the character's gone? I mean... Is there a way to get out of that? Well, you you can also convince her to remove the curse. Yeah, big diplomacy going on there. Right. Perhaps she has something she wants. Maybe she wants that immortal uh, shroom. (laughs) Yeah, the one that doesn't exist. Yeah. Yeah. Sure, here it is, pluck. (sighs) Right. Oh, another thing I kind of thought that was like a... You know, besides the... St. Gygax and the Electrum thing. There was another one. I think it was kind of a, a wink and a nod to Lord of the Rings. I don't know if any of you guys picked up on this. There's a section where, because I love this, the, the Grow Shrink Shroom Cave. Yeah. There was the tiny dwarf. Yes. The eight-foot-tall dead giant halfling. What he has a short sword plus one when glows when goblins are within thirty feet and a ring of invisibility. Yeah. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Who could that be? Nobody. <laughs> nobody. Hmm. Nobody. Ah, uh, nobody. We know. <laughs> Never heard of him. Uh, well, I, there was another magical item. Uh, the the ring that you could speak with the undead. Yeah. I found it interesting that you have to hold it in the palm of your hand and then it yeah. works as opposed to wearing it on your finger. Hmm. I just thought that was kind of an interesting twist to get it to work. And it said that they talk to you, and it doesn't mean they have to be helpful or not. And unless you're over a specific body, it could be any random spirit or undead in the area. Right. And yeah, with all, that's a potentially really powerful magic item. And with all the corpses in this, <laughs> you're going to have a lot of voices. Mm-hmm. Well, just think, if you get that magical item, it's powerful, yeah, Nick, but say you activate it, you start talking to some random ghost or whatever, and then, you know, you're five minutes up, Who doesn't? who's not to say that ghost starts following you, because, hey, I talked to you once. Right. right. Now I can annoy you until you die. <laughs> Enjoy mm-hmm. more. Right. Or what if you're going through an area with a lot of corpses, and they all decide to start talking to you at once? Well, I think it's only one per. <laughs> oh. I, I'm just imagining letting all the voices in at once. 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you you walk through a graveyard while holding that ring. Well, yeah, I could, but I did like the fact that you could do it during combat too, and then like the zombie or whatever start talking to you for five minutes. Right. Distract yeah. the zombie. Talk to it. Oh, I thought that was interesting too. That that ring of the restless dead. You you hold it. Yeah. To activate, I thought that was a nice little twist. Because most rings, you just put it on, you twist it, or whatever. Right. Or you just lift your hand up, and it works with a magical word. This one, you have to hold in the palm of your hand, and you know, concentrate. So. I, I like that, and that one thing it does kind of work around the limit of number of rings that you can quote unquote wear. Yeah, you could. I can see using this one. You put it on a chain around your neck, and then you hold it to use it. Yeah, that'll work. You know. Yeah. Hmm. So, what are our overall ratings of this module, Matt? We'll start with you. Out of what, what do we use? Swords, right? Yeah, swords. Yes, yeah, so we are swords, and this is like a. Four and a half swords for me. I mean, this is great. Um, one thing that I as going, they have a thorough appendix. The only thing that's not listed in the appendix is like the very some of the special magic items. Yeah, I at as we're talking about it, I'm like, oh, I remember seeing that. Where is it? Oh, there's about 200 rooms I need to go through to figure out exactly where that magic item was. So the so, only yeah, you're saying sum it up in the back. Okay. Right, yes. Just sum up the magic items in the back, too. You summed up everything else. Why not the magic items? Good just point. some of the, these, these special ones. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I think it's great. Uh, you I can, w- go ahead. Uh, I'm even envisioning just tacking this onto the Caves of Chaos. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 This, is, this fits perfectly with the Caves of Chaos and how that's divided up into factions and in areas as well. This is just like an extension off one of those dead end tunnels. Boom. Yeah, I was just thinking that. Yep. Uh, I would rate this a perfect five. If I can do it a six, I would give it a six because it has so many possibilities, so many yeah. avenues to travel down, so many campaign sessions you can do on this, and so much crap that can go on at once that this you can possibly play this campaign. I'm listing it as a campaign. I don't care for probably close to six months before mm-hmm. getting through the entire thing. There's always something to do in here and always something to, to have fun with and from a DM point of view, trick your party, so. Yeah. Nick? You know what? I'd probably give this uh, five swords. Yeah. Yeah. And just a simple fact. Yeah, it's a mini campaign. You can easily adapt this to whatever else that if you have an existing one. And um, it's very well laid out. I love the hyperlinks to the different chapters. Yes. yes. That's for me, cool. I don't know why that was like a huge seller for me. I loved it. Loved the appendix. I, again, like I said, like uh, like Matt said, could have had something else about the magic items in the appendix, but that's not like a deal breaker with me. But overall, very well thought out. Um, and the, the compatibility is just is, is really good. Yeah, I would love to use this. I've always... And on a personal, I've always envisioned like some sort of fungus forest sort of, I've always won like a big old room or something like that in a dungeon. And this way goes above and beyond my expectations. So this is like Journey to the Center of the Earth on crack. Yeah. Yeah. Or Magic Shrooms, man. Like, you know, you know whatever, man. Now I'm starting to sound like the dude. <laughs> Like, so, you know, it's your opinion, dude. Head over to Drive Through RPG or RPG Now and pick up The Fungus Forest by Nash Press. Average contribution of $2.18 or $0 if you want. Oh, but shoot these guys a few bucks. It's worth it. I suggest downloading it if you just want to check it out and you will be very surprised and very pleased. And I suggest you go back and then contribute some money to it. Yeah, absolutely. 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 Uh, it's uh, Lee Reynoldson and Carl Nash are the authors, and the artists are Emma Nash and Carl Nash. So, mm-hmm. some great artwork in here too. Yeah, really well done. Compatible with everything from basic uh, Beckme all the way up to second edition. So, any OSR product can work with this. Yep. You make it work. We make it work. That's what we say, right, Nick? Absolutely. So let's head into some creature feature. Are you enjoying the show you're listening to right now? Want to help support the show? Why not head over to the Patreon site, patreon.com slash WGP, 
Network. That's patreon.com slash WGP. And help support the network for as little as $1.50 a month. That's right, $1.50 a month goes a long way. Thank you. feature and the creature that I've picked is the spore man and this is is that spore. like spoon man yes I, I keep having the Alice in Chains song in my head spore man <laughs> but this we, we made reference to the means of death for that this spore man can cause. Okay, is spore man on? Uh, spore man is on page 65. Okay. Yep, in the appendix. You can find in it. the appendix. Oh, that's right. You... They're in the appendix. I keep forgetting Yes. That. If you had to sort through uh, the entire module or uh, the book to find spore man, uh, that would be very sad. So this appendix is a must for this mm-hmm. because it's so massive. Yeah. Yeah. The spore man is a fungal creature that used to actually be a humanoid, but then was infested with the white spore fungus. Hmm. And the white spore fungus, just to give a little uh, deal on it, because it, it's required to make these spore men. It's a white fungus that releases a noxious cloud in, into the air. You fail your, you, and you have to make a save. And you, if you fail it, you feel faint and queasy, then you make save roll number two. Yeah. This is the role that counts. Well, actually, the first one is the most important one. But number two determines whether you start frothing at the mouth, shake, and then spasm until you implode, <laughs> turning your body inside out. But if you uh, make your save, you live, and then but you, you're still frothing and spasming, and then you turn into a spore man. And yeah. proceed to attack your uh, fellow party members. So, all Sporemen were nice people at one point. Aww. At oh, one yeah. point. At one point. And, but it, they can be fixed. The Sporemen, if you cast a cure disease on them, they, they will get better. They'll revert to their original form. So, all is not lost if you do become a Sporemen. But... I found it just very interesting that this this is one of the monsters that when you kill it is when the really bad stuff happens because that's when they erupt into the cloud of the spores where you all must make your saves. Otherwise, you'll either die or become sportmen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then also fire, if you decide, oh, we'll just start torching the, all the fungus and fungus men. It does double damage to them, but they erupt. And then you get your nice little cloud of spores as well. So this is just one of those creatures that it could be. I for my adventure, I, I'm envisioning like, oh, you need to find, go and find so and so. They went into the forest, never came back. Then you you find them, but they're a spore man, and you can tell by like maybe like the armor they're wearing or some distinguishing uh, object they still have on them. And then it's your job to figure out: should we just kill him and say he's dead? Do we try to fix them? I mean, it's one of the many little plot hooks you can throw in. Uh, and the the spore man, I mean, as a creature, really isn't all that scary. It, damage-wise, it's got his fist. Two, 1d6 damage there. AC of 4 with 5 hit dice. So it's a little tough, but nothing too scary. It's when you kill it, bad mm-hmm. things happen to you. So It's almost like a real tough version of the gas spore. <laughs> yeah, or, or or it's reminding me of the the draconians from uh, the exploding ones from Dragonlance, where yeah. you spl- it, they blow up and you get like acid sprayed on you. Yeah, yeah, uh-huh. yeah it, it, it's along those lines. Except for some reason, the inhaling the spores 
and turning inside out is a little more creepy than having your face burned off by acid. <sighs> so, but I, yeah, I think the spore man is just like the nice creature that it sets the tone for the type of adventure this is. So as Nick yeah. was saying, the Shoggoth. Yeah, you, you think <laughs> they? You think all oh, mystical fairies and unicorns and forest oracle? No, it's a little darker than that. Mm-hmm. So. Spore Man. Uh, and again, I think I could even see myself stealing Spore Man and sticking him in other, any place that has some sort of fungus, just because it's always kind of fun to have that uh, make your save or implode. Yeah. yeah. Very, implode. very old school. Spore Man. <laughs> save me. Yeah, anyway. Let's 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 head to Sage Advice before Matt breaks out into the full song. <laughs> yes. Sage Advice. So Sage Advice, uh RFI staff at gmail.com is where we will read emails, and we have two emails this week. One is um, uh, an advice from DM Freddy. He's looking to get some advice on the G-Series. He wants to convert it to run it for more. It's the second edition. He doesn't want to use the Silver Anniversary stuff or um, the Dewey Giants by the book because they're a little more powerful than um, than what he's looking for. But his char- basically when he runs his game, it's more of a vanilla 2E, which cuts all the crap out of 2E and just makes it more like 1E. In my opinion, nothing. Not there's anything wrong with two E, but that's just how it, I'm looking at it. Am I am I right, Nick? When I'm thinking that? Or? Yeah, he's basically running like no splat books, just the core books. Okay, so he wants to do that, and the two E giants are just way overpowered for what he's looking at. And he's just kind of curious what we thought about what we would do with the giants for one E because they're underpowered compared to the two E uh, base set. So I think we were discussing this before the show. And we decided that the best advice would just add a certain amount of hit points to the Giants, like 20 or something like that, right? Yeah, that and also he said, uh, we thought what was his suggestion as far as them giving damage, he add their damage bonus for the appropriate uh, Giant type. Yeah. So that would be another good way to make them uh, at least a little more lethal, but not so much so. I think that's probably the best way to handle it, DM Freddy, and uh, hopefully that'll work out for you. Hopefully you've either run that campaign already and already saying, ha-ha, I've done that already, guys, or what? So we appreciate the email. And I think we have one more email, Nick. You were going to take that one on? Yeah, yeah. This was a email that we got in. I don't know who sent it, but it was in regards to the... Samwise, uh, I think his name was. I'm sorry, what? Samwise. Samwise, okay. Yeah, this was from was from Samwise, and this is in regards to the show that we did, where we were talking about you know basically pay for play. Yeah. For like DMs, and uh, he wrote out a, a rather um, uh, well thought out email, and I'm going to read it out, and then I'll give my, uh, I guess my, and if you want your opinions as well on on the matter, so. So he says, I've been working on my way slowly through the archives. It's a really great show. Thank you. However, I noticed this topic on the front page today and took a break to listen to the the current event. I am a paid DM. I work with several others as part of a business, and we do charge for our services. There are several reasons for this. One, no one is forcing them to play. If they want our services, they don't have to hire us. Well, what if we just want to play your game? (laughs) I, I mean, guess too bad. I guess too bad. Yeah. Even so. Okay. We specialize in working with groups of kids and not full-grown adults and approach our adventures with that in mind. Okay, that's cool. We put in a lot of effort into planning these games. It's noble to have an adventure you spend all prep time or just for enjoyment, and certainly I do it for the games I run for my friends. However, in terms of offering a service that people can hire as they choose, we take time to coordinate and collaborate and really make sure our players have a great time. We've even coordinated original campaigns, creating songs, etc. We're seeking payment so that we can justify spending our time prepping a four-hour party adventure for kids 
we're not personally tied to. Well, that's great. That's wonderful. But uh, what does that say for all of us that, you know, put on a lot of time and effort and make it a real fun thing, but we don't charge for it because it's a hobby? Just saying. Um, I mean, you could make the other counter argument like any of us. We do put a, you know, a lot of time and effort into our campaigns, make it enjoyable for anybody regardless of age. And um, we don't charge. Yeah. Um, our payment comes from parents who are happy to see their children entertained at the table for four or more hours, being social and actually improving their academic skills. We don't ah. brag, but we do advertise. Okay, ah. well, I could do the same thing and not charge them a nickel. So to some of that whole thing, it's basically parents that just want to get rid of their kids for a couple hours. Here's a couple bucks. Keep them mm-hmm. happy while we go out and go see a movie or have some parent time. Mm-hmm. That's what they're preying on. Yeah. So, yeah. If our customers aren't satisfied, then that's all there is to it. We're a business based on entertainment. If we fail to entertain, it's treated as a serious issue to it. So, what? Do they, can they ask for a refund? I, maybe. I don't know. I don't know. And they say, finally and foremost, parents are happy to pay for the experiences children have. Kids are happy to participate. Always free to leave. Okay, but then can they get their money back if they're not satisfied? Take pride in the work. We all take pride in our work and everything. That's fine. We love the game, blah, blah, blah. This is one of the sticklers for me right here. What? We love this game. In an ideal world, we would run all the games for free, but we are we are none of us wealthy. Well, neither am I. None of us are. In, yeah. In order to dedicate this time needed to make a really good game experience, we seek compensation so that we don't need to look for a second job instead. Well... If you're looking for the compensation for this and you're kind of running this as quote unquote a business, I have one thing. Are you declaring this on your taxes? <laughs> I'm sure this is this is income. I, I'm sure they are if they're if according to the first couple sentences says as a business, I would think yeah. anybody that says as a business would claim it as taxes. I would I would hope so. I'm pretty sure they would. If they're okay. claiming to be a business and they're involved with people and they're advertising, they sure as hell better be. They better be. Which I'm yeah. pretty sure they are. Okay. I'm I'm just I don't know. I just the whole thing like professional dungeon masters is just like taken from the pages of Knights of the Dinner Table. It went from like fiction to reality. I'm like, really? Again, it goes back to the podcast that I held with the current events when it goes back to these people who don't know how to play prep games, they prey on the people who don't know how to play and yeah. say no problem. I could show you how to play. You'll have a great time, but you got to give me a couple bucks. I need something in return. Get lost. Yeah, that. It, yeah, they're just playing on the ignorance of the parents. It's I not think. ignorant. It's just it's just people that don't know how to play and they really want to play and they probably can't find a group or you know these kids that want to play their parents don't trust them. But you know it's a business with a lot of kids together and oh it's a business. Okay, that means it's fine. We'll give them a ten whatever dollars for the day or whatever which i don't know how much charging he didn't say but i'm sure it's probably a pretty penny if it's you know four hours to get rid of a bunch of kids so yeah i'd be kind of interested in seeing if they have a website or um you know what sort of what are their services that they provide well i'm sure once he hears it he'll let us know okay fair enough yeah because there's just something about it when you first hear it for me I just have that innate emotional response of like, uh, it just doesn't feel right. Yeah. And I, I understand his points and you could even look at it instead of he's providing the dungeon master services. If you think he's providing four hours of babysitting, okay. Yeah. You get compensated for that. Okay. And, and he just happens to be running games. If you, if we, if he, if he portrayed it as that, I don't, I'm trying to figure out why that doesn't bother me as much as him paying to have people run his games. Because babysitting isn't necessarily a hobby. Well, no, it's a professional business for quite a few people. So right, right. that's why we that's why we have um, so we have uh, what do we call daycares? Yeah, we yeah. provide babysitting services for the most part. Right. While being a dungeon master for a game. Uh, 
I don't know if that's a recognized uh, profession in the United States. Well, you know? well, anything you get paid money for can be a profession. Right. So, but I, I have the same emotional response you do. I'm just trying to intellectually decipher why, if it was just p- the same thing was pitched slightly different, I'm okay with it. Yeah. Hmm. You so, know what, though? It's, it's, it's like it's getting to that point where you had console gamers and now they're having like professional tournaments for them. That are going. It, is it? Is this somewhat a kind of a part of that's kind of seeping into the pencil and paper uh, RPG community? You think is this maybe a, a result of that? Well, the, well, the the thing with professional gaming is it it can make for a good spectator sport. An yeah. RPG session isn't a good, a good spectator. Spe- it's not a good spectator sport just no. live with commentary or live with the players playing. <laughs> it has Could to be. Could you see that? Could you see that, guys? Oh, my God. Nick just rolled his dice. He rolled a one. Oh, my God. Nick's character may die. Well, Vince, uh, <laughs> Nick should have used the technique of rolling the dice to the left side of the table. If he's taken the time before the game. Can you imagine that? Oh, oh yeah. my God. And Play someone who has, like, I'm watching on the TV where they have the little glow pen and they're circling. Well, you know, if he would have rolled his dice over here and, you know, sounded like, you know, from right. Adam. Well, <laughs> well, instead of sweeping towards the head, if he took out his leg, he would have hey. still been able to get the information from the hobo that he needed to save the princess. They, but they, instead, boom, he killed Brett Favre. They did it in Magic the Gathering on ESPN, so I don't see why they couldn't do it for D&D. Yeah, but that's he, true. That's uh, right. They had they, Magic of the Gathering tournaments on ESPN. I almost the, forgot about that. Oh, they on Twitch, they have them every weekend. Um, the pro tours of Magic tournaments, you can make yeah, but that's thousands Twitch. of tournaments. That's Twitch. It's right. Not, it's not <laughs> really TV like ESPN. So Right. Right. Then again, for uh, some people, Twitch probably is regular TV. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, for me, I, I, I don't know, have cable. So, I mean, I will watch Twitch, but they have commentators. They have the crawlers on the screen. They have the graphics. It's, it's, uh, it's covered like a competitive event. Ooh, that was a good move by DM Nick. You see that? How he twisted that wish around and made poor yeah, Johnny. He did a fantastic job there. I'm yeah. going to use that one. Johnny's oh. character, man, his guts just split that. Oh, he should have just, if he just added that one word in, man. <laughs> yep, yep. Is he going to say it? He needs to add that word and. If he says and, he's good. If he doesn't, he's doomed. What will he do? And. And yes. like every sport. You're going to have names for, like, maneuvers and things, named after certain things. Oh, there he goes. He's going to do the Gygax maneuver right there. <laughs> it's going to cause a total TPK, I'm telling you. Okay. I could actually see tournament modules ran that way. Just imagine yeah. someone doing color commentary for a group going through the Tomb of Horrors. Oh, jeez. Where, where everyone at home knows what the module is, but the players don't necessarily do. Yeah, and that that would add to it. So you ha- the the person at home has more knowledge than the players of what's going on. The, then you have the camera shot behind the DM screen, looking at the notes. Oh, did you just notice that? What, Bob? I just noticed that Nick actually didn't roll any dice. <gasps> what? He's oh, in, no. He's employing. Were we that- playing Amber Diceless? No, he's employing the Gygax scene lie method behind the screen. <gasps> no way. Did you just see that? <laughs> Nick just rolled dice randomly, but just smiled at the players, making them think it meant something. I uh, remember when Gygax... Come on. Yeah. Or or you then you have your controversy when you have that player that sneaks a loaded die to the table. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, there you go. Then they get the slow motion replay of the die. You can see right there that backspin. That backspin is defying the laws of normal physics. That is a loaded die. Okay. So after so that basically, tirade. yeah, <laughs> it's boarding on the it's boarding on ridiculous. Essentially, I know this when that show came out, a lot of people were like, "Well, you know, if you don't want to play in it, don't play in it, don't pay them. I don't have no problem with someone trying." Yeah, but you know what? There's nothing noble or ideal about what they're doing versus someone who's doing it for free. Yeah, you know? exactly. I mean, the, yeah, don't kid yourself. You know, you're. Uh, like you said, Vince, you're basically providing a babysitting service with uh, with a DM. 
Well, Nick, nah, Matt actually said that, but okay. Or, I'm saying it. Okay. <laughs> I'm saying it too. Okay, so, whoever. Okay. <laughs> anyway, so that's going to wrap up the show for this week. Um, hopefully, uh, we'll be back in a couple weeks with another show and something else. If you have any suggestions for us to review anything, or if I staff at gmail.com, we'll be happy to review OSR-compatible uh, modules for first edition, whatever. Uh, we enjoy these things. It's fun just to see what's going on. And uh, head over and get the... Uh, the module of today and uh, throw them a few bucks and hopefully uh, we'll boost some sales for those people and uh, make yeah. them happy. Well worth the download. Oh yeah. So I guess uh, keep it original, keep it old school and good night everybody. Good night. Bye everybody. Podcast is a production of Wild Games Productions in association with d20radio.com. You can visit us at rfipodcast.com or contact us on our forums at osrgaming.org or even by calling us at 570-865-4210. This podcast is produced for entertainment purposes only. All other uses are prohibited. And remember, if your magic missile spell doesn't automatically hit, you're playing the wrong edition. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time on Roll for Initiative. Thank you.